be intentional about your spiritual growth this summer. I assume that you are. This is probably why you're watching and joining or listening uh, to Enough for Today. We're in Psalm 51. We left off with verse 2 yesterday. David is repenting of his sin of adultery and murder. And he's asking God in verse 1 for mercy. We talked about that. According to God's loving kindness and tender mercies, he's asking for an expunged record, blot out my transgressions. He's asking to be washed, his life, his conscience, his mind, his heart, his sense of shame. He doesn't want to carry this into his life. He doesn't want to live out of it. He wants to be washed of it and cleansed of it. Now, I wish I could unfold that a little more. I want to move on to verse 3. But my friend, what are you carrying? You know Jesus has forgiven you, but have you forgiven yourself? Or you know Jesus is carrying you forward and healing you, but are you defined by an event of your past? Uh, whether it's your failure or somebody else's, whether you are the perpetrator or the victim, are you carrying something that Jesus and his grace and mercy would wash you of and cleanse you of? Listen, in the gospel, you're redefined. You're not merely the product of your bad decisions or your regrets. You're not merely the, the, uh, the carrier of guilt and shame. You're not merely the victim of somebody else's bad decisions. In Christ, these things are washed away and you're made a new creature. And this is the sense of it. David doesn't want to be de- defined by this sin, by this guilt, by this shame that can hound him. So what is it that hounds you? Uh, and, and are you able, can you understand the heart of God that he wants to wash you, he wants to liberate you, free you from that. He wants to cleanse you from it. Yes, your sin, but yes, the sin of others. So important that you don't go forward in life defined by uh, these events of your past. Now, they can certainly inform who you are in terms of, of they're certainly a part of your experience, okay? I'm not saying that they will ever become uh, completely inconsequential, Um, events of our past, whether our sin or others, um, they form our story, okay? They shape our story. They're chapters. They're pages. They're they're words, you know, in in, in the narrative, but they're not the sum total of who we are, and they don't define the story going forward. They don't define the narrative going forward. My friend, God can cleanse you, and he he can wash you from that. But whether it's my sin or someone else's, this next verse is very important. David says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. So this is powerful. This is repentance. We talked about repentance two days ago. Uh, This is uh, repentance. It is the, the, the acknowledging of the truth. Unrepentance is the denial of the truth. Repentance is the the acknowledging of the truth. It's a change of mind, a true change of mind. This is why moving from unbelief to belief is, by definition, repentance. If you ever hear somebody say, um, how did you believe in Jesus? A gospel without repentance is no gospel at all. That's a true statement. That's a true statement. But there are many presentations of the gospel in the New Testament that do not mention the word repentance, okay? Because repentance is a concept, okay? Um, It is a concept of moving from no faith to faith, unbelief to belief, uh, um, denial of my sin to ownership of my sin, and they all go together. So um, sometimes the idea that I am 
that that you must have. Sometimes people say you must have repentance in your gospel presentation. That's code language, and here's what they mean. They mean you better you better be really guilty and really shameful and really feel deeply uh, regretful and remorseful about your sin to the point that you're crying. Like what they mean is some emotional construct of worked up emotion of grief and sorrow. Listen, sometimes people are saved because they're afraid of going to hell. Sometimes people are saved because Jesus is such a wonderful Savior, the goodness of God leads them to repentance. They they run to him because he's so good. And sometimes people are saved because they have a fresh awareness of how truly bad, sinful, offensive they are to God. And to what degree all of that comes to bear in someone's life. And usually it's a component of all three, okay? To what degree all that comes to, to bear That's the business of the Holy Spirit. That's the business of the deep work of God in someone's life. I have no ability in my human ability to construct a metric to measure someone's remorse, someone's level or feeling of shame or guilt or offensiveness before God, someone's level of how good they believe God to be or how deeply they understand all these realities. It's my job and your job to give them the gospel, give them an opportunity to place their belief in Jesus. And that belief um, in and of itself, if it's sincere, if it's true, if it's it's not just a a verbal assent, if it's a heart decision, it is, by definition, the act of repentance, okay? So when we convert repentance to penance— you know, as though they've got to jump through 15 hoops of sorrow before they qualify to actually receive the gift of salvation, we've turned it into a work. And that is a very dangerous road. Okay, so repentance and belief go together. And verse three, for I acknowledge my transgressions, that is repentance. The acknowledgement. Is David paying for his sin? No, but he's agreeing with God about what it is. He's no longer hiding it. He's no longer um, harboring it. He's no longer denying it or blame shifting or rationalizing why he deserves it or why it's okay. He's owning it. He's admitting it to God. He's no longer hiding it. He's acknowledging it. I acknowledge my transgression. And this is the problem. My sin is ever before me. The goal of repentance, redemption, God's goal is to get rid of the sin. To remove it. The goal of of God is to forget it. Let's let's get this out of the way. But how much does this happen in our lives? It happens to you, it happens to me. And it this can be this this whole psalm can be flipped around to also apply to the sins of others in our lives. How we respond to the hurts and abuses and neglects of others in our lives. Um, When we appropriate God's forgiveness in our heart of them, our forgiveness of them. These same things happen to us. And until we acknowledge our sin or until we acknowledge the impact of someone else's sin in our lives, it's ever before us. It's just there. It's looming. It's condemning. It's defining. It's shaping. It is the, um, it's the unseen narrative that's speaking in the back of our psyche and our conscience and our minds um, that, that it's, like the, it's like the relational and social grid by which we live. And so that's, uh, that's what creates the triggers in our life. 
you know, somebody could say something that they have no sense of the connection in your heart, but they bring it up and you're triggered. Why? Because you've got a grid of sin, woundedness in your past or uh, regret, bad decisions that's ever before you. It's right there. It forms like this this grid that everything's coming through. <clears throat> so you're shaping your whole human experience and your relationship with God and others through through that ever before me, ever present grid that's been constructed. Now, it's not real because redemption can take it away, but it is very real in our psyche. It, I mean, it's very real in our in our inner world, okay? And so David, when he says, my sin is ever before me, he's talking about some, he's talking about a concept that really can haunt us all. It's that haunting narrative in the back of our minds that follows us through life. And often it's a result of our own sin. It's often it's a result of our own bad decisions, regrets, and it's formed this almost this cocoon that we live in. But sometimes it can it can also be a part of uh, it can be a grid formed by the impact of the words or the sin or the hurts of others. And this is just who I am. But redemption begins with acknowledging that grid, that sin, that that thick web that's shrouding my eyes from really living in the grace and love and mercy of God. And living out of my gospel identity, living out of my true self, my new creature, the inner man that's been made new in Christ. David wants to get rid of that, my sin is ever before me. And he knows that the way to do that is the mercy of God, the washing and the cleansing of God made available by Jesus, and the acknowledging. See, God's not asking David to wash himself, forgive himself, uh, or atone. No, he's asked, he is allowing David to partake in an atoning work in his life, a washing, cleansing, purging, mercy work in his life that's going to cleanse him and get this sin out that's ever before him. Verse 4, against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. David, in this position, says, God, I realize my sin, all sin, is against you. you. Uh, my offense is against you. I have fallen. I am offensive to you, and I am acknowledging this evil that you know, you see, you're aware of. It's raw, uh, open honesty before God, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Um, David, in a sense, is Total ownership in verse 1. This is my sin. And this is between you and me. In this prayer, this is between you and me. You say, well, he sinned against Bathsheba in some sense. He sinned against his nation in some sense. He sinned against Uriah in some sense. Yes, and that's a vertical view. This is a horizontal view, okay? And David is saying, so here's, here's my point. He's not going to ever stand before the judge of Bathsheba or Uriah. He's not ever going to stand before the judge of the nation that he rules. He's going to stand before the judge of the universe. There's one judge before whom he gives account. So in that sense, his sin and yours and mine is against this this great judge, okay? Um, Because all the rest of us are equal sinners. We've equally offended. We've equally violated. We've equally broken God's laws, okay? So all of us, our real offenses are vertical. Our substantive, eternal offenses 
and will be held account in the courtroom of the universe. We will give an account solely to God and we will solely individually own our sin. Now I'm speaking um, in this universal sense. If you're a believer, you're gonna your sins on Jesus, okay? And if you're not a believer, then you need to put your sins on Jesus. Um, but in a universal you know sense, without the atoning work of God, each of us individually gives account to God. Uh, we stand before Him. Our sin is against Him, and He will be justified. The end of verse four. He will be right. He will be just in speaking. And clear in judging. David, there's a total ownership that he's just clearing the deck and saying, I'm not blame shifting. This is nobody else's fault. I own this and I own whatever you decide. However you handle me from this um, is yours, God. Clarity, um, it's just me and you. You're the owner of, uh, I'm the owner of the sin. You're the owner of uh, the the outcomes and and the responses I'm not bringing anybody else into this. And God, you, you're you the ultimate judge. You're the ultimate vindicator. You're the ultimate justice executor. And so I accept your clear uh, judgment. I accept your clear rendering of however you handle me. This is, um, this is what I submit to. It's a, it's a thick concept here because verses one through four, and I'll wrap up with this, verses one through four, is David saying, I am completely laying myself into your hands. This is the opposite of what we do in courtrooms in America. In courtrooms in America, the criminal gets a defense attorney and and and, and the, the whole game is put the blame somewhere else and get out of, of conviction. With God, David doesn't play that game at all. He just lays his guilt right out. He says, yes, I'm guilty. And I lay myself at the mercy of the court. You judge. I don't need to plead a case. I don't need any witnesses. I don't, I don't need anybody else but you. You're the judge. You're my judge and my attorney and my witness and my jury. Uh, it's all on you. Um, what a great God. What a great heart of trust that David has in this moment. What an aw- uh, honest, open, raw accounting of his sin. This is, um, this, this is how great the heart of God is. You don't bring God your defense. You bring God your guilt, and you make yourself completely vulnerable to him. And he is gentle and compassionate and merciful. 